Hi, and welcome to the Sheep Show podcast dedicated to all things ovine. Thank you for joining me. I'm Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm and Sheep Stud and your host. This is your podcast to learn more, know more and achieve more when it comes to shepherding. Come with me as we explore the amazing world of sheep and sheep farming together. Have you heard of 4H? You might be even involved in 4H. 4-H is actually in over 50 countries, believe it or not. We often associate it with the US and and Canada and North America. But I was recently invited to speak at a 4-H club uh, in Ontario, in Canada, obviously via Zoom. Can't really fly to Canada at the moment and look at sheep. But I thought uh, I would share the um, experience with you. I recorded it and... uh, They were such an amazing group and asked so amazing questions. So I thought I would share it with you and, of course, introduce you, if you don't know about 4-H, introduce you to what 4-H is all uh, all about. So 4-H is a youth organization. The mission that they have is engaging youth to reach their fullest potential while advancing the field of youth development. And the letters, the 4-H, stand for head, heart, hands and health. And it is a particular in the US, it's administered through the National Institute of Food and Agriculture. And in Canada, it's actually an independent nonprofit organization with lots and lots of different branches uh, across Canada. And it was the Canadian uh, 4H that, that I was uh, participating in. The goal really of 4H is to develop, I suppose, youth skills through a variety of means. Areas like citizenship, leadership, life skills, responsibility, and the focus is really on experiential learning and quite a positive development approach. They focus on things like science and engineering and and health, and the, the motto really is make things better and learn by doing. So you can imagine how involved the the 4-H kids can be, particularly in the areas of livestock. So you might have seen some pictures of kids in America and Canada showing sheep through the 4-H club. It's, it's a very interesting, a lot of these kids don't have farms, but they're participating in agricultural activities uh, for personal growth and, and development. And the group that I spoke with, um, Shelley helped, uh, was, was the one who contacted me from the Canadian 4-H group. And uh, we had a great time. We had a really, really good time. And I thought I'd bring it to you for a few, a few reasons. One, so you can, I suppose, find out what it's like a little bit to perhaps do a session like this with kids. And also to, what really interested me was the questions that they asked. Now, they're in Canada. Um, they didn't actually know where I was when I met them on the Zoom. So the very first piece you'll hear is them guessing where I physically am. I showed them a picture um, of, of our farm and they guessed where where we were. So you'll hear that at the very, very start of the session and then it continues. But the questions that they asked, particularly thinking how different it is to farming in different parts of the world, Ireland, for example, how different farming sheep in Canada is to Ireland or perhaps in France or perhaps in Africa or Australia, wherever it might be. It's just really interesting. And from a kid's perspective, now these kids are between 10 and about 20. So, you know, they're, they're very articulate, very intelligent and very capable of asking questions. And the, um, 
the questions were really, I was just quite astonishing, uh, the kind of questions that they asked and really challenged me. And then, of course, near the end, I asked them what they learned. And it was really interesting to hear some of the things that they said that they learned as well. So, and that's for me, that's a, a it's really great to, to have them reflect on their learning and, uh, and sort of share, I suppose, what the key takeaways were from the, from the little session that we did. So, Enjoy meeting the kids from the Ontario group of 4H and finding out what it's like for them and the sort of questions that they ask. Enjoy. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm. Um, I just learned because of the hills. Yeah, the picture. I hope I was hoping the picture would help you. Actually, this doesn't look very Australian at all. This particular picture, um, and you'll you'll sort of find out why in terms of where I actually farm uh, as well. So I run a farm called Halston Valley Farm, and it's a sheep stud as well. And I'm going to introduce you to uh, to my sheep as we as we move through our sessions. And it's it's very interactive. I love seeing your face. I love hearing your voice. Um, so love to to have as much interaction and and help you out with um with what you're learning and what you're doing in 4H over there in Ontario. So lovely to meet you all. So. Uh, myself and my husband Gary um, bought a farm in um, Victoria in Australia, which is in the sort of southeast corner. We bought our farm about five years ago. It's a very wet, hilly, it's probably the, one of the wettest areas in Australia. It's called Gippsland. The whole region is called Gippsland. It's quite a big region uh, in Australia. Anyone been to Australia? No? Thumbs up if you've been. Obviously, probably not in the last 12 months, I'm thinking. <laughs> no one? What do you know oh, about Australia? What's that? Um, my cousin lives there. Well, where do they live, Delaney? Um, <laughs> I actually don't know. But um, she went out there to work on a couple dairy farms. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, they're probably, if it's a dairy farm, probably Victoria is the big dairy state or possibly New South Wales is a little bit of dairy because obviously with dairy, you need a lot of water. Uh, we don't have a lot of water in Australia. <laughs> what else What else do you know about Australia? Anyone know anything about else about Australia? It, it's, really dry. it's really dry and open. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. It's in, in, in a lot of places, even now, they've been in drought for for a long time so some some states have just come out of drought i know in in, in some of the places in, in north america i was listening to a podcast this morning about california and they're in a really bad drought we're on the other side of about a four-year drought so uh yeah it's, it's, it can be very very dry uh, what else do you know about australia other things what about sheep in australia what do you know about sheep in australia they're completely different than the ones here in north america <laughs> Yes, <laughs> they're very different. Um, uh, and, and I'm going to tell you, my, my sheep are even more different as well, because uh, given where we farm, it's different to most other areas in Australia because it's quite wet and it's quite hilly, as you can see from my, my pictures. Um, so we've got 155 acres um, in, uh, in, on our farm. Anyone know how many hectares that might be? How good is your maths, everyone? Anyone know? Too many to count. Too many to count. <laughs> at 62 hectares. 155 acres is at 62 hectares. I don't, I don't know if you work in acres or hectares. 
but that's the sort of size of our farm. In Australia, that would be considered a small farm, so quite quite small. Our lambs, that was very productive and it's hilly. So we actually get, what do you, what do you think? Do you get more lamb for your acre if, if it's flat or if it's hilly? Hilly. Yes, absolutely. So with ups and downs, you get much more land area. Yeah. So when you walk our land, which takes a long time, it feels like you're walking in about 250 acres. So it feels that big. Um, and, and of course, the, the challenge there is if you're going to farm on that land, well, what do you think some of the challenges might be about farming in the hills? The dangers of certain equipment? Yeah. Certain jobs? Yeah, absolutely. We don't have a tractor. causes kind of no points, really. Sheep don't need some heavy machinery. Um, but it's very, it's very dangerous, without a doubt. Yeah, what other challenges might there be about farming in the hills? Go for it. Having to walk up the hills. Having to walk up the hills, yeah. So we use an all-terrain vehicle. Yeah, what's that sheep with what? Sheep may or may not break legs. Yeah, absolutely. So the sheep have to get used to the hills as well, and it can be some dangers. We have cast sheep from time to time. What, What are cast sheep? You know what a, a cast sheep is? It's when they roll over oh, on their one. yeah, they roll over on their back and they can't upright themselves. They they find it quite difficult to sort of get back up. And and if we don't check them, they die. I mean, it happens. It only happens every so often, but it still happens. Great. Uh, for us, we have um, a very strong philosophy running through our farm. We're focusing on community, bringing people back to the land sharing knowledge we farm in a very sustainable way and we focus a lot on our animal welfare and I'll, I'll tell you through uh, some of the things we're doing with our sheep which really improve or really raise that bar around animal welfare and indeed some of the animal welfare issues that there are in Australia um so here's another little picture of I guess just the the terrain that we're in and you know the the with the look of the land so you'll see here lots of uh, what what else do you notice apart from the lovely sheep what else do you notice in this picture they're more together than apart yeah yeah so they they do stand to 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 stick together yeah and there's a lot of greenery there's a lot of greenery yeah we have a lot of shrubs a lot of trees and a lot of weeds as well. Given the high rainfall, it does produce an awful lot of weeds. But trees are a real asset on our farm. Why do you think trees might be an asset or useful on a farm, particularly with sheep? Shade. Shade, yeah, shade. And the sheep that I have really love shade. They, The sun for them is their most hated element. They don't mind snow, not that we get much snow, but rain, get a lot of rain, cold, wind. They don't mind that, but they really need a lot of shade. So the the trees are quite quite useful for us. Here's my husband, Gary. (laughs) We both have off-farm jobs. So Gary works in in medical sales. um, And he's the real focus. His focus is really about grass and, and growing pasture and a lot of our infrastructure and a lot of our projects. So he does all of that. And he's in sales, so he's very chatty. So we do a lot of farm expos and, and obviously sheep showing as well, which I'll, I'll show you about. And here's me, this is what I do, my day job. I 
um, like a sort of a, a teacher for adults, if you like. So I go into their businesses and their workplaces and I train them on things like how to hire staff or how to prevent bullying in the workplace, these sorts of things. That's what I do. And for me on the farm, I primarily focus on the sheep. I um, uh, I'm vice president of my sheep association. I write a sheep magazine and I have a sheep podcast. Has any, anyone ever listened to a sheep podcast before? No, what are you missing out it's on? What's that I one? actually listened to yours, Jill. It was ah, really good. Did you, Shelley? Oh, how lovely. <laughs> yeah, I started a sheep podcast about 12 months ago. I now have 51, 52 episodes on there. Um, and I'm recording this and, you know, depending on how it goes and how your questions are, we might actually put it on the podcast as well. So you never know. You might have your own podcast episode for your own 4-H club. <laughs> I, for me, my, one of my passions is, apart from the sheep, is eating. Who else here eats? Anyone else here eat sheep, eat lamb? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because obviously, we, not every sheep is going to be a perfect specimen for for a, for a show. So we we primarily focus on producing good quality, nutritious, healthy lamb for our community, and and that's a big focus of our farm. We've got to we've got to make a profit from our farm. So cooking and, and educating are are two key things for me. So that's who I am. What we actually do on our farm, it's a bit of a mix. We have the meat packs, as I mentioned, and all the meat we produce gets sold direct to the consumer. So we pack up each each lamb to this, the requirements that that particular customer wants. So I had one customer just this week and they said, you know, we love chops. Can I have the 100 percent of the lamb in chops? So they just wanted it all in chops. And, you know, that's OK. So they can get what they want in their meat packs. We also have seasonal hampers. We sell a lot of our sheep, particularly we sell a lot of joined ewes. Now, this is, I think this is a language you perhaps don't use over there, joined. What, what do you think that means, joined? Joined ewes. I think your equivalent is bread, yeah? So in Australia, we refer to a, a sheep when we put her with a ram, you when we put her with a ram, we refer to that as, a, as she's being joined. And then when she's pregnant, she's joined. <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? Just the difference in, in, um, in language. Originally, I'm from Ireland. I'm thinking everyone knows where Ireland is. Just kind of cross the ditch from you guys. And... Uh, in Ireland, again, they've got different. They've got different language as well. So when a, a sheep yay, uh, lambs in Ireland, they call it yaining, <laughs> not lambing, yaining. And a you, they they often refer to it as a yo. <laughs> so different language in different countries. Um, we also offer farm experiences. So our farm is a very open farm. We have a lot of visitors. So on, a, on an average weekend, we might have between 10 and 20 people come and visit our farm. And sometimes they visit to purchase meat. And sometimes they visit to just experience some of what we've got. And sometimes it actually is to learn to, to farm as well. And of course, we have the, we have the, the podcast too as well. Um, here's a podcast, the Sheep Show podcast. So... Um, look forward to you all checking it out and give me some feedback. Tell me what you'd like to hear on the podcast. We have a lot of we a lot of um, people in in North America and, and Canada listening in 
podcast. Uh, okay, so here's, here's a tip for you. These are some of the other things, non-sheep things that are on our farm. Do you know what these are? Anyone recognize any of these animals? Yeah, go for it, Adam's, Adam and Adam's brother. I can see you, what have you got? Go for it. Koala? A koala, yes, it's a koala. Mm, I forgot. Um, tree frog? Yes, um, a grass chilla? frog, yeah. Chilla? Well done. A what? I think it's called Nchilla. Nchilla. Very good. That's very close. It's called an echidna, but just so good. That's so good. An echidna. So this little thing that looks like a porcupine <laughs> is called an echidna. And it, it, like a hedgehog or porcupine. I don't know. What do, you, what do you have? Do you have something like that in Canada? Porcupines, maybe? Yeah, it's quite small, like about the size of, yeah, about the size porcupines. of porcupines, great stuff. So it's about the size of, of a hedgehog. It's quite small and rolls up in a little ball. It's so cute, really, really cute. We have lots of them, lots and lots of them. And what's this little, what's this little slimy thing? Uh, uh, salmon? No, oh. a lizard. I think it's a lizard. Yes, I it's a lizard. Yeah, it's a... A blue tongue lizard. That's what he's called. He's a blue tongue lizard. And he's really handy because we have a lot of snakes on our farm and he actually keeps the snakes away. Yeah. So his favorite delicacy is little young snakes. <laughs> so that's a blue tongue lizard. So we've got lots of these great. We also have lots of kangaroos and wallabies. We have deer, wild deer on our farm as well because we're really in quite a bushy area. And again, there's lots of geckos. Would any of them hurt Are any of them? Would any of them hurt you? Oh, listen, uh, this guy would obviously, he would he would spike you if you kind of cuddled up too close to him. <laughs> you got that, got that close to him. Um, the koala can scratch you, um, but you wouldn't generally get that close to a wild koala anyway, but they can scratch. And then this guy will hiss at you. He won't bite you like a snake, but he will hiss. And it's kind of scary. Yeah. What about the sheep? Would they hurt the sheep? Ah, the, 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 some sheep can get bitten by a snake. So I keep in my sheep kit. Does anyone know what you would give? What would be a natural remedy to deal with a snake bite in any animal, like a dog or a horse or a sheep? Anyone know what that would be? You'd give them high quantities of some natural remedy. Anyone know what that is? You gotta, if you listen to the podcast, you'll find out how much I love vitamin C for my sheep. And vitamin C in high doses can cure snake bites. Yeah, Adam, you got your hand up. Go for it, Adam. Um, uh, snakes can produce venom. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. Yep. And depending on the different snake, it can be enough to kill a human or even kill an animal. We have had an alpaca die from a snake bite. 
Yeah. You know, and dogs, a lot of dogs can get killed by snake bites as well. Yeah, lovely. So it's nice to have a bit of variety on our farm. Um, we've really, really focused on that diversity and trying to get that diversity in there. And it's kind of interesting. I remember going out one night when I was lambing to check on my lambs and I had my torch. And I was thinking, that's a very strange looking lamb. And I got closer and closer and closer. And there was a koala just looking back at me. And I was thinking, oh, you're not a lamb. I don't need to put an ear tag in you. <laughs> So it's amazing. Even this morning when I, I left, I came out, I had a fox at my back door, which mm, foxes, what, what's the problem with having foxes and, and sheep? I don't think you guys have foxes, but it's a bit like a coyote. Do you guys have coyotes? The fox kill the sheep. They, yeah. yeah, they kill the sheep. Yes, exactly. We have foxes too. Do you have foxes? Yeah, oh, wow. introduced foxes, I'm thinking, yeah. not native. Yeah, so you've got that same problem that we have too. So that's one of the, the biggest challenges we have with our sheep. When we're lambing, foxes will be a big challenge. And then the other biggest challenge, given that our land is very wet, what else do you think might be the biggest, the other biggest health challenge I have with my sheep? And when it's wet and hot in particular, what what is a challenge? Go for it, Adam. What do you think, Adam? All right. Foot rot. Right. Did you say foot rot? Oh, interesting. Foot rot. Well, I'm going to introduce you to my sheep soon. And my sheep actually, I genetically test them so that they're resistant to foot rot. So very rarely, I've never had any foot rot. But oh. it's, a, it's a really good, you're very close, you're very good though, in terms of where you're thinking, because in Australia, that is a, that is a problem. Um, and with some sheep breeds, particularly sheep breeds with white hoofs, what, what, do, what do you know? What's the difference between a white hoof on a sheep and a black hoof on a sheep? Those of you who have Suffolk's, you might know about this. White hoofs. Um, black hooves gather heat. Yeah, if it's hot and it's sunny, yeah. Yeah. Any any animal? If any of you have horses or no horses, any animal with a black hoof. The black is a hardier hoof, so it's a tougher, more resilient hoof. So when you're in conditions like we're in with wet, then you really want to make sure that all of your animals have, have black hoofs. So a lot of sheep in our area, we will breed to make sure that they have a black muzzle or a black nose and they have black hoofs because if they've got black pigment, they're going to be harder, hardier. Now, I don't have Suffolk's which of course you naturally get black feet and black faces, but we try and breed this in the, in the sheep that we actually have. It's, it's something we really want to get. Uh, we really want to get in our sheep. So here are our sheep. They are called Wilshire horns. Now has any, anyone heard of a Wilshire horn before? No. Yeah, you have, Adam. Adam's nodding his head. You have? No. So Wilshire Horn, I'm going to tell you a little bit about their history, but they're actually the sheep that were um, introduced 
into the Katahdin breed. Uh, do you know anything about the Katahdin breed? Because that would be a more popular breed in uh, over with you in, in Canada. Katahdin? Yes, you've heard of them, Shelley? Yeah. Yeah, so they're quite popular, um, in uh, particularly in the US, I think. So Wilshire horns, one of the biggest characteristics of these, these are British sheep, and the biggest characteristics would be that they are shedding. Now, what does that mean? They're a shedding sheep. What, does, what do you think that means? They're like a dog. They, they shed their wool. Yeah. And what season do you think they naturally might shed their wool in? Spring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go for it, Adam. You just, just shout out. Shout out your answer for sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so they grow wool right now. It's it's coming into winter in where I am in Australia. So we're in the opposite of you. So we're in May. It's very end of autumn, beginning of winter. It's actually really quite cold. I had some ice today out of my on my farm. I iced this morning. First time I've seen ice in a long time. And then we're moving into winter when we, we lamb generally in August. And then once my, my ewes have lambed, then they start to put energy into getting rid of their wolves. They grow wool in winter to keep them warm. And, uh, and then, so you'll see this one here, she looks like a typical woolly sheep. Yeah, she's got sort of like a fleece. So they're not a hair sheep, but in the summer, they have like a hair-like coat. So it's, it's, they, they look more like coat-wise like a, like a dog or like a hare. And given, that they're a shedding sheep. What do you think their key purpose is? What's the key function or purpose of this particular type of breed of sheep? For wool. Well, if they're shedding, we don't have to shear them. So no wool. The wool has no commercial value or no, no commercial purpose at all. The birds love it. <laughs> what do you for think? Milk? Not for milk. For meat? Meat, yes. These are a meat sheep. So obviously they produce lamb and, and it's, they're, they're great at managing pasture and things like that for, you know, backyard lawnmowers, but their purpose is meat. So they are a single purpose sheep. So when we get our animals dispatched, we don't get any skin credits or wool credits at all. And we don't need to shear them. Pros and cons, of course, because when we don't have to shear them, we don't have to get shearers in and don't have to pay for shearers, don't have to have shearing facilities, shearing sheds, nothing like that. We don't have to crutch them. No, on the back end, you might do that as well, but a lot of farmers over here in Australia would crutch them at the back. We don't have that. We don't have any problems with dags at the back as well, which is where their manure gets stuck, one of those problems. So none of those costs, but of course, it's a single purpose sheep. So you've got to think, well, I've got to try and maximize the value that I can get from this animal, both in terms of the offspring, how many, anim how many lambs this animal is going to produce, and also to think about how much value can I as a farmer get from the meat that I sell. You know, so, so really trying. So for us, we sell direct, so we get a higher price than we would if we sold through a sale yard or sold through perhaps straight to a butcher so and the meat is very good because given it's a meat a meat sheep the meat quality is exceptionally good 
um, and they're putting all their energy and all their protein that they get into um, into their uh, into their growth. Um, let's see. Let, here are just a few other things. Have a little read of this. And you can see some pictures here of some of the sheep. So I'm interested in some questions you might have about the sheep. I have a couple questions. Go for it, Jelani. Okay, so um, one is related kind of, so how many lambs would they average out then? Yeah, great stuff. So I just have my, my sheep pregnancy scanned and we pregnancy scan at around 180 to 200%. So that means that the average sheep would have twins. It's very, it's very common. So I had maybe 90% of my sheep were in twins and then maybe 10% were triplets. So some of them have triplets and then the rest were singles. Even young sheep, like I join or breed my ewes, my ewe lambs at 18 months and a lot of them would have twins. Fourth questions, go for it. Sorry, how many sheep do you have in total? Great question. Yeah, so 155 acres, really quite good quality land. So I'm actually running um, uh, 130 ewes, breeding ewes at the moment. And then with my next season ewes, my ewe lambs from last August, plus weathers that I'm finishing, plus my ram flock, I've actually got over 300. Yeah. Good question. Well, I don't know what your kind of currency is down there, but for your market of meat right now, um, like, is it higher than what it normally is? Lower? What does it look like? Great question. So, yes, red meat at the moment in the commodity market is fetching a really good price. Um, so it would, it would, we're in dollars as well. And they're about probably 50% of your dollars. So, or American dollars. So it depends on the currency, right? Um, but we're we but the way we sell, we don't have any price fluctuations. Yeah, every single animal I sell, I get the same. Doesn't matter if it's a good season or a bad season, I get the same. Does that make sense? So I have a stable market rather than like some of my friends will sell their sheep to a sort of a finisher. So they'll go off at weaning and they might get, and again, this is Australian prices, maybe six, four to six dollars. A kilo, um, whereas I'm selling my meat at fifteen dollars a kilo. Yeah. Now there are some additional costs that I have to bear. Okay, so just bear that in mind. So I have to do the marketing. I we're involved in deliveries. I have customer service that I have to do. Um, I have to get get my customers in. We have to pay for dispatching or slaughtering, packing. You know, cutting up the meat, we've got to pay for all that. So it's not that I make, you know, twice as much profit as everyone else, but it's just a, a savvy way of making a small farm work. Great question to me. Other questions? Approximately how many lambs do you get in a year? Yeah, so last year I lambed 70 ewes. So I've grown my flock a bit since then. And I ended up with 130, I think 130, 140, 143 lambs. That was like live. <laughs> yeah. So at weaning, I had 143 lambs. Yeah. So about 160 ish percent is what I 
what I get. I'd like a bit more. For a, for a shedding breed, this, this, these percentages are really quite important because that, that's all you're getting paid for, yeah? More questions? What um, size are the lambs? Like they right. look, they look pretty big, but how yeah. like compared? Yeah, that's a fabulous question. So, so we have we sort of work on um, a, a a birth weight of anywhere from three to sort of five kilos. That's ideal for us. Like I had uh, one of my ewes had triplets last year. And all three were five, equally five kilos in weight. Yeah. So that's amazing. You know, she's, she was huge, though. She was really, really big. And she's carrying around 15 kilos of lamb. And, of course, you can imagine that was for all breech. What, what is a breech lamb? So they're all back to front in her uterus. Yeah. We've got to go in, get them, fetch them out, and bring them out. <laughs> yep. No. <laughs> Messy hand, very messy hand. Yeah, when a lamb, a lamb can survive at about two and a half kilos, but any younger than that, it's not really, it's not, it's not a critical, it's not a critical survival. And a six kilo lamb, which we do get, what do you think some of the problems are with a six kilo birth weight of a lamb? Just too big. It's too big. And often the trauma that that, that sheep, that you and that lamb would have had in, in lambing, it's, you know, we end up with with a swollen head and potentially some other brain damage that that lamb has. So they might eventually come out. Some of them will survive, but, you know, it's, 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 not, a, it's not good. This is why I pregnancy scanned this year. So with my singles, because a lot of the big ones are singles, with my singles, I know what they are now. And then I can say those 20 sheep, because it's about 20 that were singles, those 20 sheep, I'm going to manage them differently than I would manage my multiple flock. Adam, did you have a question? Go for it. How many rams would you put in with how many ewes? Great question. How many rams would so you put in would, with how many um, ewes, Adam? What would you do? Uh, one ram per 100 ewes. Mm, okay, yeah. So he, he'd be very, very busy. He'd be very busy. For me, we go with about one to 50. Yeah. But it does depend on the age of the ram. So if it's a younger ram lamb, like this guy here, this isn't one of my sheep, but you can see how good looking he is. I buy my rams from this breeder. And this ram would be quite a young ram. And if we used him, we would probably only put him with 30 sheep. Yeah. So, so that's enough for him in his first year. And I'm generally going to put him, put a younger ram with older use and an older ram with younger use. Did that make sense? At least someone knows what they're supposed to be doing then. <laughs> cool. Other questions? The questions are so good. Have you ever had any lambs born with deformities? Oh, yes. I can have a podcast on sort of weird and wonderful things that have happened. Um, I had one with no anus. He didn't have any exit. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh, this is okay. I can operate and give him one. Didn't work. So that was quite, quite strange. Um, I also had one born with a little mark on his 
um, on his backbone. Just a little mark about that size, a little red mark where there was no wool. I thought it was a bit strange. Like he lived for a little bit and then he lost power of his back legs. So he was born with an abscess on his spine. And he died. He, well, I had to actually euthanize him because he, was, he wasn't going to survive with his legs. So, yeah, so there's been definitely some weird and wonderful things that, that, um, that have occurred in, uh, in lambing. Yeah, great questions. What else? How do, you, how, um, how do, how do the lambs um, deal with the, win like the winters there? Great, yeah. So this... Okay, so with a lamb, there's sort of a few factors to lamb survival in winter. You know, is the environment wet? Uh, is the environment cold? Is the environment windy? Uh, now, our, our lambs are born with a full pelt. So there are there some, some sheep over here have very thin pelt and they might need a little coat or a bit extra shelter. So some farmers will put up square bales in their fields or paddocks and have the lambs sort of lamb behind those to give them a, a bit of shelter. The biggest problem is the wind. The wind and the draft, that's the biggest problem. The lambs can actually cope a little bit with the wet and the cold, and often their mum will shelter them. But if, it, if that lamb gets a draft and it's cold and wet, it, and they don't get, what do the lambs need within the first 12 hours of birth? What's the most important thing a lamb needs? Colostrum. Colostrum. Yeah, colostrum. So if, if, they, if they get that colostrum, it's going to give them an, an extra little boost and it's something warm inside them. So that will help them su survive. Um, I've been using, I don't know if you've heard of the research, I think it's US research, where if you feed, so we're supplementary feeding our pregnant flock, you know, just a little bit of lucerne, like alfalfa or a little bit of grain. And if you feed them at around 11 or 12 o'clock in the day, they lamb during the day. How amazing is that? I tried it last year. A few of my friends tried it last year as well. And almost 98% of my sheep lambed during the day. So that means I don't have to get up in the middle of the night when I'm lambing. <laughs> and also it means that I have got a chance of if there's anything going wrong, or any wild weather, I've got a chance to be able to bring that animal inside and give it an extra little boost. But check out that research, it's, it's quite amazing. Um, it was obviously done in a sort of a scientific way, like a lot of research, but when you apply it to real life farming, it still produces very good results. So is there a system to when the ewes have the lambs and you pull them into the barn? Like, is there a certain amount of time that they stay in there and then you kind of boot them both outside or how does that work? Yeah, it's it's not typical in Australia that, that you would have sort of big sheds for, for livestock at all, unless they're feedlotted. So for us, we don't actually, we have some smallish sheds where we will repurpose a hay shed for, for lambing. Um, I would, if the, if the, if the you had triplets, I would probably bring them in for, and put them in a little pen, maybe for two or three days. Um, and if they're, if they've got space and they've got twins, I'll bring them in as well. I will try and bring them in at night if I can. It's very challenging because we don't have the space. And of course, you know, they're like lambs just want to go everywhere. But for the, from a fox point of view, I, I like to bring them in for at least two weeks if I can at nighttime. After about two weeks, a fox is not going to catch that lamb. 
Yeah. So somewhere between two days and, and two weeks. Um, but it's 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 and we don't have big big equipment or machinery to clean out those sheds. So it's, there's lots of sort of flow on impacts when you have them in sheds. We often find too with the indoor lambing, um, the the ewe isn't as healthy and also can get dirt in her udder. And what would what would happen if a ewe got dirt inside her her teat and inside her udder? What might happen? Infection. Infection, yeah, infection. And this infection presents as mastitis, and that can actually be the end of that ewe's breeding cycle if, if that ewe has mastitis. So it's not a it's not a not a good result for me and not a good result for the ewe. And often even for the lamb or multiple lambs, the ewe might not be able to produce as much milk as well. So it's a, it's a big challenge. But if they're indoor, everything changes. Um do you, do you um, have bottle lambs? Like, do you take care of them if they need the milk? And if you do, do you have a system for it? I have someone like you, <laughs> Jessica. I think that's Jessica. <laughs> that's my system. <laughs> yes, we last year I had eight bottle-fed lambs. And I just found people in my community who wanted them for pets. Um, I, sometimes I will keep them, but more often than not, I will get them up to a stage where they're drinking just hand, you know, with a hand bottle. I don't have any magic system that does it. It's all manual. And then, but I will try and, and basically pass that little animal on to someone who would really appreciate the affection from that animal. Because, you know, for me, I like it. It's fun. They're really cute. I like cuddle. But when I put that animal back out with my flock when it's weaned, it's it's not going to behave like the other flock. It eventually will, but it becomes a pain to move around and muster. Does that make sense? When, yeah, when I'm moving large flocks, I, I, I don't really want this lamb thinking, hey, come and play with me. I don't have time for that right now. Yeah, so I need more people like you, Jessica. Maybe you can, when, when COVID's over, you can come over and bottle feed some lambs for me. Would you ever, so we had a meeting uh, about a week ago with um, a farmer from out in Manitoba or somewhere up there. I'm not good at geography, but um, she just got a, an automated uh, milk, milk warmer for yeah. the bottle ca- uh, bottle lambs. Um, would you think a lot of like do many people out there have those or would it be kind of a challenge because of not having the indoor space? Yeah, I don't know anyone at all who who does it. Like I have some friends who if they have a bottle fed lamb, it's just euthanized straight away. They won't even. Yeah, they won't even. I know that's I find that quite difficult to sort of deal with. Um, I'm like, I want to give this any animal the best chance of a, of a life. Um, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to to do that. So you know, not not everyone uh, has that time. Yeah. yeah. How does oh. weaning work? How does weaning work? Yeah, <laughs> I'll come back to your lyric in just a second. Well, please ask. That's absolutely fine. Um, um, I'll come back to your lyric. So Delaney, how does weaning work? This has been something we've been giving our properties. It's quite hilly. It's long. So we try and, and, and move the ewes as far away as possible from the lambs. We, we get the lambs on really good feed 
once the lambs, we find once the lambs go in there on really good feed, they don't care about their mom anymore. <laughs> they just want food. Give me food. You know, so we kind of distract the lambs. They're easy. Some of the boys are a bit sooky. You know, the boys are like, oh, I miss my mom. So they kind of escape sometimes. <laughs> we have really good fences, no holes, no, no gaps under the gate because they'll squeeze out and put the ewes as far away so that they don't hear each other. Yeah. Yeah. So from that point of view, we try and separate them. I also want to get my ewes if I can. And it's really hard because we're weaning when our grass is really long and really lush in round about November. But I want to get my ewes on pasture that's really low and not very lush. Does anyone know why? Why do I want to wean my ewes on shorter, less rich grass? Like I know when we're weaning ewes, we feed them kind of our drier, dull stuff because then their milk production slows down. That's it. That's it. The quicker we can dry off that udder, the, the healthier that sheep is going to be. Plus, the then I want to get her on good feed because I want to get her nice and healthy for breeding again in February. So I put my rams in in February and then have, have lambs in August. So that period is a sort of a sort of a bit of a balancing act, particularly given that that's our highest grass growth period. So it's quite challenging for us. Um, Lyric, the, that, what do you have to do to get the daytime lambing? Um, all I did was supplementary feed the ewe flock, the pregnant ewe flock, with uh, grain. That's what I did last year. And that's what my friends did as well. So I'm giving them, most of them, I'm giving them supplementary feed anyway to prevent pregnancy toxemia now what's what's pregnancy toxemia we're doing all the hard stuff today <laughs> pregnancy toxemia is often called twin lamb disease that might be another clue for you for what it is this is where the you when they're carrying multiples and then they don't have a good condition. So we condition score our sheep a lot. You probably do this for your shows too. So we want them in a really good condition so that they have enough fat reserves, enough energy reserves to feed themselves and feed the multiple lambs that are growing inside of them. Otherwise, the ewe will start to focus her reserves on her lambs and she will then suffer. And then I end up with sick you and sometimes a very difficult birthing process. She just doesn't have the energy and her muscles aren't going to be able to contract during labor. So it's, I want to give them extra feed to manage that twin lamb disease or pregnancy tox. You're welcome, Lyric. Um, and that, and I just choose to do that if I can. Like I'm, I work during the day. So if I'm last year in COVID, I was on the farm every day so I could go out in my lunch break <laughs> and feed them. And then that gave me that daytime lambing. But check out the research. If you Google research on daytime lambing and feeding times, you'll find it. And it'd be an amazing little project for you to have, uh, have a look at uh, as well. Our, our sheep um, are really good on weeds. Um, they were, they're actually an original um, Roman breeds, you'll see their Roman nose. They've got quite a sort of a pronounced Roman nose. And they came in the 18th century to Britain. 
So we refer to these this breed, this Wiltshire breed, as a British breed of sheep. Does anyone know any other British breeds of sheep? British milk sheep. What was that? Wes or Avery? British milk sheep. Yeah, British milk sheep. Yeah, so East Frisians potentially would be an example of a, of a British milk sheep or perhaps even European, probably coming from Friesland in the Netherlands. Yeah, Suffolk's are a British breed as well. So if you, if you breed Suffolk's, they're a British breed. Leicester's, anything with a Leicester in it. English Leicester, Border Leicester. The Border Leicesters have the little ears. This is the real rabbit ears. Beautiful little sheep. Yeah. Uh, Lincolns. So Lincolns um, have been crossed with Merinos to produce a Corriedale. If you're familiar with Corriedales, um, Lincoln is a British sheep. And of course, the Merino is a Spanish sheep. So there's quite a few British breeds um, that, are, uh, that are quite popular. Shropshire would be another one. Um, so those would be, yeah, some, some classic British breeds. The magazine that I write is for primarily a British breed stud um, association called ASBA. I'll pop it in the in the chat function for you. My accent is um, kind of difficult sometimes. ASBA. So you can have, if you go to ASBA, you'll see the magazine and you can view all the past editions of the magazine there if you wanted to have a bit of a look in it might give you some more ideas as well. We, I know we talked a little bit about complementary feeding, but this is primarily what we feed them. <laughs> Diverse pasture. <laughs> That's what they get most of the time. Um, and you'll see here just some of our spring growth. And, and Gary, my husband, really is passionate about pasture. So we've really renovated our farm. Go for it, Wade. Do you give your lambs like any grain? Great question. Yeah, I try and imprint their rumen at weaning. And also that means that I have a bit more control over them. So they will follow me or they will respond to a, to a, we don't have dogs or anything. So if I can get them trained onto a bit of a bucket or a noise. So, but only for a very short time. And, and, and at weaning, they're off milk. So their immunity is a bit compromised because they're, you don't want them to go backwards. We all, I also find that the lambs are highly vulnerable. We haven't talked about this, but to worm, worm parasites when they're just weaned. So worms are the biggest, one of the biggest challenges we have. But when we grow long grass, less of a challenge because the worms will not climb up this blade of grass. You know, they're not going to live up here. They're going to live way down here. So if I can keep my, my pasture in really good condition and I move my sheep frequently, like sometimes we will move our sheep twice a day if I can. I mean, some paddocks, really small paddocks, really tight amount of sheep and move them really quickly. Sometimes it's once a day or sometimes it's about once a week. If I can. Yeah, it's not always possible, but it's what we aim to do to try and keep them moving um, and that keeps the pasture healthy. It also reduces the worms. Like for my ewe flock, I have not drenched those ewe flock in a year. No drenching at all. And they're all at breed standard weight. So they're all 75, 85, 95 kilos and pregnant. Yeah, my lamb's different story. I've been using um, a vaccination for, which unfortunately is not available with you, but I know that they're trying to, to get it. 
I'll pop the name of it in the chat function. It's called Barber Vax. It's for Barber's Paul and it's a vaccination. This guy developed it. You'll, you can hear a podcast with him uh, if you want. His name is David. And he spent 35 years developing a vaccination for a sheepworm. <laughs> they can use it in goats too. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. And it works so well. It really, really works really, really well. Yeah. And as you can see, we really try and focus on that pasture. What do you, what do you feed your lambs in the wintertime? Grass. <laughs> they just get grass. The ones that we eat, the, the weathers, so the castrated males, we, they never get anything um, apart from grass. And, and of course, for us, we're marketing a product that's pasture raised. So that's a key part of what we produce. Yeah. If I don't have enough grass, I just need to get rid of those sheep earlier. It's a, it's a tough decision and I don't like doing it. I want to keep them all, but I can't. You know, I can't because something's got the sheep health will suffer, the pasture health will suffer. There's a few little um, legal or, or um, accreditations that we have. I've just popped them here on the screen. Just, but ask any questions about any of these. If there's any words here you want to know more about, one of the biggest challenges we have, particularly with our rams, is ovine brucellosis. Um, and we get them blood tested to make sure that their brucellosis is accredited. And for us to go to a show, we must have this accreditation. So all my rams have to be blood tested at least every two years to manage this accreditation. I can't take a ram off my property without that accreditation. I don't know if you guys have anything like what, that. What is the, um, the chemical fertilizer, like the spray and the fertilizer have an um, effect for the sheep? Um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good question to ask. And um, I, I think the answer is we, we actually don't know. Like we don't know what effect they're having on, on us as humans when we eat that, that animal or that, that, um, uh, that, um, that meat. But we do know that since the, since the introduction of chemical fertilizers, there have been more immunity diseases you know, and more disorders like autism, for example. So if, if you listen to um, there's some, um, some people like Joel Salatin, who you probably know, Gary, my husband did a course with Joel Salatin from Polyface Farm, places like that where they, they talk about this and they talk about the rise in these sort of human illnesses. So I'm thinking there must be an impact on the animals. Like some of our ewes will live for up to 15 years when we don't use any chemical sprays. Our breed is a long-lived breed, but they're living even longer and being healthier even longer. So um, from, for us, I, I, I wanna sell a product and I wanna eat a product and I wanna look after a flock that is as natural as possible. So the moving them around is a very natural way that they would do it if they were in the wild. And well, having, yeah. Where's the glyphronic free farm? Was that yes? Mean? Glyphosate. Glyphosate. So glyphosate is like Roundup. Anything you would use to spray a weed, it will contain or could contain glyphosate. And it's there's there's, there's a research on that that it causes cancer. 
and there's been some court cases where they've successfully sued the companies who produce glyphosate. So I know this is quite sort of politically charged, these sorts of topics, but it's good to, to be aware of it, particularly as a, as a young person, just be aware of the, the picture, I suppose, here and how you can farm in a different way and just make different choices, I suppose, with both what you eat, but also with, with what, what you use on, on the land. These things, like things like glyphosate, what they do is they, they reduce your earthworm population, they reduce your dung beetle population. So the health of your soil is not good. The health of your soil is not good, the health of your pasture is not good. If the health of your pasture is not good, the health of your sheep's not good. And if the health of the sheep's not good, the health of the meat and the human is not good. Does that make sense? So it's sort of, there's, we, don't, we don't know for sure exactly the impact, but we know there's an impact and we know we can, we can make a better choice. I thought I might show you some um, pictures of, uh, of some showing. So here's, here's just a picture of me. This is what showing in Australia looks like. It's very different to 4-H. Just so you can see, this is me. On the shows, we we have um, we take a muscle scan of the sheep. I don't know if you guys do that. So you're you're scanning the eye muscle, and we display it so that the judge can see what's beneath the surface. The judge doesn't have X-ray vision, so the judge can see the the, the weight, the fat covering, the fat mill, and the eye muscle width and the eye muscle depth. And the eye muscle depth is more genetic and the eye muscle width is more environmental. So we're, when, we, when we're making breeding choices, we breed to get that depth in the muscle so that we have better, basically a better loin of that sheep because the loin is the most expensive cut of that particular meat. Sorry, I interrupted someone. Go ahead, I'll show you some more pictures. This is us working. <laughs> This is how we deal with weeds. Why questions? does that stuff matter? Why does like the eye or whatever you're just talking about matter to the judge? Oh, great question. Like, well, how does that help him? Yeah. So the judge is um, is wanting to know, is this a good production and performance animal? They're judging a meat sheep. So they want to judge the meat. So they'll put their hands on the animal to judge the muscle. And then the, the statistics will also tell them how good one is compared to the other. So it's a great way of them making a comparison, not just visually and through observation, but through a more objective measurement. So the judges, a lot of the judges here in Australia really like to see that. So then they can really make that decision because they're making a decision just like in, in 4-H, you're making the carcass decision often. They're trying to make that choice. What is the best, not just visually appealing sheep, not just structurally correct sheep, not just at the breed characteristic sheep. They're also making a judgment there about carcass. We don't have, like you have, we don't kill our animals once they're in the show ring. We, are show, we never show a weather. We only show breeding sheep, entire males and um, females, either young ones or ones that are either pregnant or with lambs at foot or, or could be breeding. So this picture here that you see, which is some of my animals in hanging up carcasses in the, my butcher shop, the butcher shop that I use, we never do that in a show ring. Yeah. 
So this is the before picture and, and these are just some of the after pictures. Hopefully you've all had tea. <laughs> I did say I liked cooking. So, so Jessica, when you come over to bottle feed some of the lambs, this is some of the, some of the, the dishes I'll cook for you. I'm in. <laughs> I can't wait. I think we're all in. <laughs> Good. I'll tell my neighbors. They'll, they'll give you all your sp their spare rooms. <laughs> Love food. <laughs> what else have I got for you? Um, here are just some pictures of some of my sheep in some virtual shows. This is a virtual show we did last year. And this, um, or yeah, actually this was this year, some of my rams, um, this guy got second. Um, this was a virtual show we did for children, for kids last year through the Royal Melbourne Agricultural Show. We, we put up examples of our sheep with videos and then the children judged them and gave their comments and this girl um, won one of the prizes. Um, we, we, um, we do a lot of marketing. So I, I appear in a lot of the newspapers um, we got on the, the um, uh, this is one of our other rams here at a newspaper clipping. And here we got on the front page of a, of a local paper, me and Gary, these are some of my lambs. These are some of the bottle fed lambs, so they look really bad, but they're, at least they're quiet. But I, yeah, this one was quite sick at the time. You can see it's a dirty bum. And uh, these are just some of the, some other pictures of the of the land, and we've got a lot of dams that look like this. That's how we use our use our water, manage our water. What else have I got for you? This is a winter's day, so probably a bit, bit different than a winter's day in Ontario. <laughs> but this is about as as wintry as it actually gets with us. It's very different. Look at the blue sky. You guys get a lot of blue sky, but you get a lot of snow. But yeah, this is as wintry as it actually gets with us. We get a little bit of snow. I hope you have more room. I think there's more of us coming. Yes, we'll, yes. Come in this, come in the sort of, come when Jessica's going to come for the lambing, that will be August, September. So it, it'll be warmer, but probably wetter. <laughs> and these are just some of the shows that we do. That would be a great. Yeah. I was just going to say that would be a great achievement program for us all to go Wouldn't over it? and uh, help with your with your landing. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah. How fundraising, people! Fundraising, fundraising, <laughs> absolutely. I'm sure we can do some fundraising <laughs> and send it to. We'll have this GoFundMe page, and we'll we'll do some from Australia as well to get you all over here as well. It'd be amazing. We could we could have um yeah a whole cross cultural cross cultural sheep fundraising extravaganza. Yeah. We don't do it alone. We're all in. Yeah, we we have a lot of people that come and help us on the farm. Some friends, family. This is Gary's son, Lachlan. This is Gary's mum here in the sheep yards with with me, and this is our, our a bit of our sheep setup. So we have a lot of people. We're very lucky. We have a lot of people who come and help. We have these local kids who who work on the farm. So there's a, a it's a very community focused farm, particularly with us working full time. We we can't do it a we can't do it alone. Um, I thought it would be good also um, to just show you what we think of a, an ideal market lab. <laughs> Hopefully, it's very similar to what you would think as well when you're doing your 4H. Um, 
but this is obviously not one of my sheep, but you can just sort of see it's very similar. We, we look just like you. We look for the structure, the high pastins, the good feet, straight back. Um, if you listen to some of my podcast episodes, there's some sheep breeders talk about what they look for in good sheep. And one guy, Simon, who's a huge, like he's running thousands of sheep. And he said, if they have a straight back, almost everything else is going to be perfect. You know, so you just think about that. You know, another guy talked about two dots at the feet, bring the dot up and then join it across the top. And that way you get good balance in your sheep. So it's, it's really interesting the way people sort of assess or choose good lambs to, to show and, uh, and put in those 4-H, um, 4H clubs as well. This is me actually winning uh, with my little ram lamb. You can hardly see him here, but winning a, a ribbon at one of the shows last year. We were actually feature breed at one of the shows last uh, 2019. And we, um, in one class, we had 22 ewes, which is huge for our breed because it's quite a small breed, quite a small breed. Let me see. Um, here are just some of the associations we're involved in. This is our Wilshire Horn Association. I'm vice president. And then this is that um, Stud Breeders Association that I mentioned as well. I also make kombucha. <laughs> um, we also produce all, all our little fruit and veg and stuff like that. And our little roadside stalls. So this is at the front of my farm. Just different ways to connect with the community and different ways to offer produce um, to the community. This is the um, abattoir we use, just not too far from us, only about half an hour. We take our lambs ourselves to the abattoir. And then we use this butcher, these butchers here to get them slaughtered as well. I thought you might like this picture. <laughs> so, final questions. What have you got? I know it's getting very late with you all, but I've, I've gone over time. Final questions. What, what else can I help you with? Who, who else is coming with Jessica? <laughs> Everybody's pretty quiet all of a yeah. sudden. I've talked too much in the last they're few all counting, oh, They're all counting. They're looking in their bank account to see if they've got <laughs> enough money for the flight. Have you transported them? To the I want to come. <laughs> I'll have you for sure. Courtney, did you have a question? Or Adam, did you have a question? No. Nope. So I'm interested um, then, what did you learn? So what do you know now that you didn't know about an hour ago? Whether it's about sheep, Australia, you know, farming, whatever. What do you know now that you didn't know an hour ago? I didn't know those sheep that shed. There you go. Yeah, there's... there's is the Katahdin are another sheep that shed that you would have dorpers as well? I didn't know that you guys didn't do tractors. Are you what? Sorry, I didn't know that you guys didn't use tractors. <laughs> Most farmers would, we're just a bit different. The whole concept is everything on pasture 24 7 basically is, <sighs> is completely. It's so different, isn't it, Delaney? It is, I know, I know that. I know it's so different. 
Yeah, even Ireland in Ireland, it's it's that would be unusual. My 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 brother has got a farm in the Midlands of Ireland and farms crossbred sheep. He he he's managing it now because he's lambing much later. But when we were growing up, it was six months on the lamb, six months in a shed. It's a really good way to look at it, Delaney. It's 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 quite different. It's I think it's one of the reasons why sheep goes so well in Australia. Yeah, because for us, it's really just those summer months. Like we'll yeah. put, you know, especially on our farm, we'll pull them into the barn kind of as soon as they're starting to show sort of thing. Yep. And there's plenty of people in Ontario province that that it's just 100% in, indoors, you know, as well. What else did you learn? I have another question. Go for it, Hunter. Um. You're like back to kind of the winter thing. Like, what are your winters like compared to like one in Ontario? I don't know if you've ever seen winter in Ontario. Yeah. Though. Yeah. I've, uh, like, I've visited Montreal in winter. Uh, in winter? Uh, yeah. Yes, it's, it's, yes, I have been there in winter. I guess the closest thing I can, I can show you is, is that picture there um, where, where it was just a little bit glistening. <laughs> We, we we have some rain in winter. Most of our rain would be in, in autumn and spring. That's the wettest, those are two wettest times. In in winter, it's just cold. So nothing grows much. So the, sort of the, the pasture is a little bit dormant, um, but it's not freezing. So you can still graze outside and there's still something for the animals to, to eat. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just like a... Um, probably like probably just when you're just before you go into your heavy winter that's probably what it's like so temperature wise I'm going to tell you now in Celsius not Fahrenheit so um, like this morning it would have been about two or three degrees Fahrenheit uh, Celsius which uh, you know why well, I, I can't remember I think it's about double or anyway you, you'll work it out Fahrenheit wise so almost at freezing yeah and during the day, it probably will get up to probably 15 today. So that's a typical winter's day. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. like a winter here is way different than... Yes, very different. Colder. Yes, yes, absolutely, Hunter, for sure. So if, if you can't handle the Canadian winters, we'll have you in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. What else did you learn? Going back to the pasture. What are your, like your weaning process? How you just like separate them that way? Because yeah. like a lot of the time here, we just put gates up across or like put some out to a pasture and keep them in the barn. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It's again, we're for us to be commercially viable. We, we we have to use that pasture as best we can. Yeah. Someone else is going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, how hot does it, like? What's your like hottest days uh, like there? Yeah, again, Celsius about 40, 43, maybe forty five would be really really hot. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's um, we have a lot of, um, uh, you call them wildfires. We have a lot of bushfires and we're in a bushfire oh. prone zone. 
So we, we in summer, it's a, cha- it's a challenge. Yeah. Have you ever had to deal with this? We, we had the year before last, we had fires it, it surrounding us, still maybe half an hour, an hour away, but surrounding us. So um, we prepared. Uh, we could see the helicopter. They use a helicopter to dump water on the fires. The helicopter was going straight over our property for about two weeks. And we prepared our property um, to, to, to sort of manage the, the bushfire. Um, when we, we had a little small urban fringe farm before we had a larger farm. And it was a really bad day in Australia in 2009 where hundreds of people died. And we could, again, we could see and we knew it was bad. We left our property. We packed up and left our property that day. We weren't impacted, but we, we, we could see how challenging it was and how close it was. Um, but thank goodness, touch wood, I haven't actually been um, drastically impacted. So thank you all very much. Hopefully it's been helpful for you. And thank you so much, Shelley, for the opportunity. Really, really appreciate it. Um, I, I look forward to hearing, um, hearing you all comment on, uh, on the podcast and ask questions or whatever. So staying in touch would be lovely. Uh, just before we go, Jill, I'm going to ask Avery Rimmer to, to say a few words um, before we sign off. Avery? So on behalf of the Warrington Sheep Club and as a sheep and wool ambassador, I would just like to thank you, Jill, uh, for taking the time to talk about your operation. Um, it was very informative and engaging learning about, more about sheep farming in Australia. Um, and I think we're all going to need to check out the Sheep Show podcast. Thank you so much, Avery. And you've been an amazing group. So really enjoyed working with you and happy sheeping, everyone. Sheep well, as we say on the podcast. Thank you. And I'll make sure that I send the, uh, the link for your podcast and, and your you. farm to all the, all the members so they can look you up and Beautiful. I'll also send you the link to our Facebook page for yes. our 4-H club. So you'll see rabbit dairy and sheep and mechanics club that we have in, in Wyerton. And, uh, you can take a look at some of the pictures from our show last year that we had last uh, September and, and keep touching. Thank you again. It's been amazing. Um, Really appreciate it. And we look forward to coming to visit you in a few years. Oh, I was just about to say, yes, I can't wait. (laughs) Yep. I'll have the lamb in the oven. Perfect. We're there. (laughs) So much, everyone. Thank you all very much. Thank you very much. Thanks, Shelly. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Sheep Show podcast with Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm. Want to make a difference to a farmer today? Why not buy direct? At Holston Valley Farm, we supply whole lamb cut and professionally packed to Victorians and ready for your family to savour. Place your order today via www.holstonvalleyfarm.com. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, sheep well.